Are we recording? Get the thumbs up. What is up, freaks? Joey Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of TFTC. May trigger some of you guys, but we, we had a doctor on to talk about COVID, treatments, his thoughts on vaccines. Doc Woods, towards the end of his career, 75 years old, has been treating patients in Wyoming for 43 years, almost half a century. And he has a perspective on on what's been going on and uh, the, the treatments that have been artificially prevented from getting to to patients. I'll let you guys listen to it. We just had a almost two hour conversation. It's brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. I'm looking at some Unchained employees right now through the glass windows here at the Bitcoin Commons at the TFTC studio. I see Justin Moon. He's not part of Unchained, but I can just see it beautiful mullet. Uh, Unchained's here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. They're here to bring you financial services. They're here for Bitcoiners. Make sure that you're you're secure and that you have access to financial products. They have a white glove concierge service for their vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig custodial collaborative custody. Not custodial. It's collaborative custody. You hold two keys. Unchained holds one key. You always have control of your sats, if you have those two keys, if you're ever in a pinch, though, you only have access to one key. Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. Uh, this may be daunting for some of you guys, you guys, but if you have your coins on in exchange, it's a single point of failure. If you have them just sitting in a single sig wallet, it's a single point of failure. The exchange can get rug pulled. It can tell you, hey, actually, the government said you can't take your sats anymore. Um, so, so we're not gonna send them to the, the wallet that you like. Uh, single SIG wallet, you lose your wallet, you lose the backup, you're shit out of luck. Lost your coins. Try to prevent that. Collaborative custody with Unchained. The White Glove Concierge Service is going to take you from zero to having a multi-SIG vault set up. You're going to have multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to get you hardware wallets, help you get those set up. And then you're going to set up your vault and they're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into the vault. If you tell them that TFTC sent you you're going to get $50 off that package. Go check out everything they have going on at Unchained from their loan desk, their IRA product, the vault, their blog at unchained.com. This trip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. Team behind Slush Bowl. Team behind Brains OS Plus firmware. They're doing incredible things. The pool side, they've been around since 2010. Longest standing Bitcoin mining pool. They've weathered many storms. They've helped mine more than 1.3 million Bitcoins since they launched. They stay true to Bitcoin. Brains OS Plus firmware. That allows you to download firmware onto your ASIC, which allows you to produce more hashes with that ASIC, which then allows you to produce more sats with that ASIC, okay? If you're running an ASIC that is compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not running it, you're leaving sats on the table. You're being dumb. Don't be dumb. Download Brains if it's available for you. You also have Brains, Brains, insights.brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com, insights.brains.com is a one-stop shop for all the data you need about the mining industry at any given point in time. It's got hash rate data, difficulty data, hash price data, mining pool data, profitability of individual machine models. It's a beautiful site. 
Daniel Frums. Thank God he he had a hectic time during during the last halving and just had a bunch of tabs open. It was like, all right, I need to consolidate this. He and the Brains team consolidated it into insights.brains.com. They're also having a mining conference June 15th, 16th that week in Prague in the Czech Republic. We are an official media partner of that conference specifically. Go to the mining conference. I'm actually, I have my laptop on me right now. I'm going to make sure that this is the correct website, theminingconference.com. Where does it take me? Where does it take me? It's been the wrong. It's been the wrong. I've been sending you guys to the wrong. This, this website doesn't exist. <laughs> How come miningconference.com? Let me check. Nope, that one doesn't work. Let me get a brains. I'm actually shocked the brains guys haven't reached out to me. We're going to find BMC 2022. Oh, it doesn't even have its... It doesn't even have its own landing page. It's brains.com slash Bitcoin dash mining dash conference dash 2022. If you go to brains.com, it's uh, it's up there. The Bitcoin Mining Conference 2022. Main event June 15th. Side events 14th, 16th. Sorry for sending you freaks to a website that doesn't exist for like the last three weeks. Go to brains.com. B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com. Brains. This trip is also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. We're here to bring you a non-custodial, no KYC, no AML lending platform. It too leverages Bitcoin native multi-sig properties. What you do is you put your Bitcoin up. If you're in a pinch, you want liquidity, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, and you're willing to use stable coins, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral in a uh, two or three multi-sig escrow. You get stable coins in return. You go to lend.hodlhodl. You'll find this marketplace of people that are looking <clears throat> to lend out there stable coins to get yield on them and you, you, they'll, they'll give you rates like, hey, here's the interest I'm looking for. You can negotiate. Say, hey, let me bring that down a little bit. Like, here, here's my collateral. You put your Bitcoin up as collateral. You get stable coins as long as you're paying that loan back, the principal plus the interest. You are going to get your sats back at the end of the day. And that's the beauty of uh, Bitcoin leveraging uh, the native multi-sig or excuse me, hodl hodl leveraging uh, the native multi-sig properties of that exists in Bitcoin. Excuse me. I have people in the comments walking in. They're distracting me a little bit. Uh, you don't have control in this setup of the Bitcoin. However, since you do hold one of the keys, uh, you have visibility into the escrow account so that you know that your sats aren't being rehypothecated re and you have certainty that if you're paying that loan back plus the interest, you're going to be getting your sats back at the end of the day. Go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com. And Eastern Europe Conference is hot as well. The Baltic Honey Badger Conference will be back this year. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you freaks that, but whatever. I just did. Last but not least, talking about conferences, we got one coming up here in South Beach, Miami, April 6th to 9th. Nice. The Bitcoin 2022 conference. It's going to be the biggest conference ever. World's Fair, Chicago, 19. 08, whenever that was. It's going to look like... What's it going to look like, Car? What's the world... The 1908 World's Fair. I don't even know if that's the year. In, in Chicago. That's going to look like... Hmm. Hmm. That's going to look like... That's going to look like a, like a couple of uh, SPCA people uh, 
on the corner, like trying to annoy you. Like, hey, come talk to me. It's like, no, that's the World's Fair is going to look like that compared to Bitcoin 2022. April 6th to 9th in Miami, South Beach, Miami. It's at the South Beach Convention Center. Okay, so it's the biggest fucking thing that's ever happened in the existence of conferences. Day one, the six. <coughs> Such a big specter. I can't even talk right. I gotta drink some water. The six is industry day. If you're looking to get, if you're in the industry, if you're looking to climb up the industry, go to, you gotta go to industry day. You're gonna be bumping elbows with some heavy hitters. Some hitters. The seventh and eighth, and their general conference days. It'll be CEOs, presidents. President Bikaley's coming. He's uh, he's an avid canoeing. He's, he's got an avid canoeing hobby. And he's just going to talk about canoeing on stage. And they've got beautiful lakes in El Salvador. President Bukele likes to, to pull his canoe out quite often and enjoy the scenes. And there's many intricacies that go into the, the hobby of canoeing and President Bukele is going to take the stage at Bitcoin 2022 and really dive into the intricacies that, that exist when, when you're canoeing. So you're not going to want to miss that. Michael Saylor is going to be there as well. Jack Maller is going to be there. <laughs> this fucking asshole named Marty Bent might be there as well. I hope not. I really hope not. Um, what else is going on? Richard Hart is in my, is in my menchies. Fuck Richard Hart. Hopefully he's not at Bitcoin 2022. If he is, you should call him out for being an accomplice to murder in Guatemala. Kidding. Hearsay. But word is on the street. Bitcoin 2022, day four, music festival on the 9th. Logic, Dead Mouse, Neil Young, and Joni Smith are going to be there. Um, but they're not actually like a part of the festival. They're going to be on the corner with the SPCA people um, begging for money because they kicked themselves off Spotify uh, in reaction to Joe Rogan. Having a very similar conversation to the one that we just had with, with Doc Woods. So if you haven't bought your tickets to Bitcoin 2022 yet, go to b.tc slash conference and use the code TFTC to get 10% off your tickets. Enjoy it, freaks. Thank you. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Doc Woods, I must apologize. We're, we're recording here. You may hear some background noises there putting a, a bunch of office furniture together behind me. We're going to try and uh, make sure that we mute my mic when you're speaking. Um, but I want to thank you for joining us. Well, glad to be here and thank you for, for having me. You might hear some cattle in the background too. <laughs> no, not really. Actually, I'm in town today. My house in town here is nicely across the street from the hospital. All those deliveries I did all those years, it was a handy thing to do. I, could, I think I had 67 steps to make it to the hospital when I was in a real hurry. Which, so you, could, uh, 
you could be on call and be there within within two minutes. Yeah, I, you know, I basically did all the deliveries here uh, for oh gosh, thirty five years, about thirty five hundred deliveries. So I was busy and surgery too, but I haven't done that for a few years now. Yeah, well, we were talking about this on Saturday night when we had our introductory call. I mean, so for anybody out there who's listening, I'm sitting down with Doc Woods, um, who who has been a practicing physician um, in the state of Wyoming for many de- how many decades? Four or five? 43 years. Yeah. 43 years and uh, has a very... I don't want to say harrowing story, maybe a harrowing story, but you are towards the end of your career and it seems like you got screwed over pretty bad for trying to um, do what you thought was best for your patients uh, in terms of treating them uh, with uh, the the medicines that sh- are, are not supposed to be named and with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and, and some other uh, remedies that that aren't a, a jab in the arm um, but before we get into that whole de- debacle and what happened with you particularly within the last year i think again I, after speaking with you on saturday night it just really was driven home to me like how much you care about your patients and w- what you've been doing in your community for many decades so i think a good place to start for this conversation would just be to jump into what it's like being being a physician in a a small state and a small county within a small state and uh, what it's like being the healer for your community well it's been great i i wouldn't change anything for the world i have always planned on being a doctor from a very small child and uh after oh a few i lived in a big city oklahoma city went to oklahoma university med school and uh i uh you know always wanted to live in a small town raise my kids in a small town i have five kids and they've just done great and become really uh good people and i couldn't ask for more and uh it's nice when you treat someone for 40 plus years 30 or even 20 you're not just their doctor you're also their friend and you see him downtown you see him at the rodeo you see him uh at the ranch sale, you know, at the grocery store. And uh, it's a great feeling to to get to watch these uh, babies you deliver grow up and then deliver babies for them. Uh, It's a unique experience, and and I just wouldn't have changed anything. And and you were describing there was a gentleman who, when he was younger, he healed his hand. And and then uh, like years later, he, he thanked you for healing him. Correct. What, what was that particular story? Yeah, he was just delivering <clears throat> propane at the ranch just last week, and <clears throat> I I knew I recognized him. Uh, I can't always get all the names straight, but um, he remembered, of course, when I had he had a bad injury to his hand, and I had sewn him up. In a small town, even as a board-certified OBGYN with general surgery training, we all took emergency room call. It was just a standard thing. I mean, you just did it. So we were on every third night, and then I was doing all the deliveries and all the emergency surgery. And so that kept me busy, and and uh, he had had a bad injury, and I'd sewed him up, and he did well. And then one time in the clinic, he had been there, and he had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. 
And uh, I, I forgot I did this, but I did this occasionally. I just took the cigarettes out of his pocket, crushed them and put them in the trash and said, that's your last cigarettes. And explained to him all the problems, of course, with smoking. And he was starting to get some problems as a young person. And and he, he recalled that when he was filling up my propane and said, yeah, you got me to quit smoking. And he explained it to me how I, I did that. Um, and you can pick certain people to do that on. You can't do that on everyone because uh, they like their, you know, like their cigarettes. But but it was just uh, one of those friendly conversations. And his wife, I had delivered some children for him and taken care of his wife, too. And he thanked me for that. And And that's the way the whole town has been since I've been terminated. They've just been... Oh, gosh, I've got hundreds of cards and letters from people. And we had that one uh, little get-together with a few hundred people there. And uh, it was very gratifying to see that that people were so uh, gracious. But it also made me feel somewhat guilty that that I'm not going to be there for them as as much as I would like to be. You know, I'm 75, but I really I kept telling my patients when they asked me when I was going to retire, I would always say, well, just give me 20 more years unless I get grouchy. <laughs> that well, was my standard answer. You know. Well, I mean, a, a true warrior dedicated to, to helping out his community. I mean, there, there needs to be more men like you in today's society, which is probably going to be the crux of this conversation, which is you were, you've been dedicated to your community for, like we said, 43 years and then you were hastily terminated um, because you were doing what you thought and deemed was best for your patients in response to COVID. So I think, uh, like, what was what was it like when COVID first started spreading throughout your community in early 2020? Um, what were your reactions in terms of providing them with with care um, and and um, giving the medicine, uh, what was your perspective when, when the outbreak first, first broke out? You know, I was in a medical meeting, uh, that I had gone to pretty often. It was a OBGYN office practice meeting that I found, uh, pretty helpful. And, um, it was in Hawaii. And, uh, so I was there, uh, when the COVID outbreak in February first was, uh, recognized and uh we did just barely make it back uh, and then they had the lockdown and uh, all that time I, I started studying treatments for covid and and how it came about and um you know I, I won't go through all the details with you but you know i couldn't understand how were they using an antiviral uh i mean an anti-parasitic drug and then, you know, and for malaria, and of course, it was also used for rheumatoid arthritis, from talking about hydroxychloroquine at first, for uh, a virus. And I had to look at the molecular biology and, and really understand how that worked. And then it made sense to me. And then um, France, you know, had their first study. Uh, after the in vitro, they started having the in vivo studies on people. Pretty impressive, especially the way it eliminated the viral load in just four or five days or, or sooner. 
And then various other studies came up. I'll, I'll just tell you that study that came out in, um, I believe it was uh, June, yeah, around June 5th of 2020, after all these good studies showed that this drug was working, and uh, as, and even they were starting to hint that azithromycin was good with uh, with hydroxychloroquine. It was synergistic, helped with the viral uh, problem as well as the anti-inflammatory. And we were learning more about it all the time through the research. And I found out right away: don't use Google for a search engine. I had to switch over to DuckDuckGo. My wife recommended that. And I started finding a whole lot more studies worldwide that were favorable toward hydroxychloroquine. So um, then comes along this god-awful study by Surgisphere, 96,000 patients, uh, 671 worldwide hospitals, 30 to 45% death rate from using hydroxychloroquine. My God, my whole world was blown out from under me because I was thinking, here, we've got a good treatment. Thank God they discovered it was all fake, that the people involved in Surgosphere were actually, one was a pornography <laughs> person, the other was a science fiction writer. Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine both published this horrible article. It halted over 40 studies worldwide on hydroxy. And hundreds of thousands of people could have died during that time. But within two weeks, they had discounted it. They found out it was all uh, made up data. And uh, boy, was I relieved. We still hadn't had the first case in Platte County. Uh, I think our county had the very last first case in the world, practically. Uh, but I was getting calls from other people. And of all people, the first person I treated was my daughter in early July. And thank goodness that study from, from uh, Henry Ford Foundation came out. Very favorable for what they called triple therapy. That was hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin and um, zinc. So um, that was kind of the first time I really learned a little more about zinc. And certainly that was one of the ways that hydroxychloroquine helps kill the virus is by being ionophoric, which means pulling in the zinc ion into the cell. The primary way both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine work, you know, is to close that doorway, called the ACE2 doorway, into the cell. And, and of course, that's what the spike protein opens up in that gain of function when they change SARS-1 to SARS-2, which is COVID-19. So hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin both work primarily by preventing that entry into the cell in the first place. But I'm, I'm getting way off the subject here. Uh, no, you, you're, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Um, um, now I'm getting it. You can hear that echo? It's on your side. Uh, um, the, uh, yeah, it's much better now. Uh, but we were talking on Saturday again about like studies that came out, particularly around hydroxychloroquine. And one, I had always been curious uh, whether or not uh, any study had been done around this is whether or not lupus patients who had been prescribed hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic for their lupus uh, were being studied as 
a, a, a group of people who, like, what, what was the COVID penetration in lupus patients taking hydroxychloroquine? You made me aware on Saturday night that there was a, a pretty large study out of India that, that covered this as well early on, too. No, well, we were actually talking about safety issues. Uh, one of the big things, and the reason I was first called in by, by my uh, corporation, the hospital owned, uh, uh, corporation owned hospital, uh, was safety. They called my behavior risky because they felt there was a risk of using hydroxychloroquine and especially with azithromycin. And the reason for that was, was a prolongation of the QT interval on the EKG of the electrical output of the heart. And if that QT interval gets over 500 milliseconds, then it increases the risk of arrhythmias. And there's a there's a name for sudden death from that cause de point or something like that, some French name. And it just means sudden death from arrhythmia, ventricular arrhythmia. Well, that had never happened. Both the uh, Association of uh, Lupus Doctors and Rheumatoid Arthritis Doctors, both of which used Plaquenil, which was hydroxychloroquine's trade name, uh, for those years and years and row, decades even, um, did not have any significant problem with that, that condition. So there really was no safety factor from the very beginning. And, and people were saying, oh, do EKGs and follow them closely. Well, we only give the drug five days, 10 at the most. People are taking this stuff for years and years and don't have trouble. So, so that was kind of discounted. And, um, that, you know, that's, that's when India did that huge study, 350,000 healthcare workers were placed on it prophylactically. And it was very successful, not as good as ivermectin later, but definitely good. I took it all the first year prophylactically once a week, uh, and, uh, never had any trouble with COVID at all and saw hundreds of patients in person. I was hazmatted up, of course, but still many people kind of snuck in to see me. They weren't allowing any COVID people to see me at all at first because of my age and risk factors. I had to sign a release so that I could see them. And um, then uh, what they would do is, is not tell the, the receptionist they had symptoms and then they'd come in and say, yeah, I'm having COVID symptoms, you know. So there I was without my hazmat on. So that was fine. I knew I was uh, pretty safe anyway, and I was taking the vitamins and zinc along with the hydroxychloroquine. And, and that worked great for me, um, but ivermectin, which I'm taking now and have been for about a year or more, is much more effective. And the data shows that. The biggest problem I had uh, when ivermectin came along, which was great to see, gosh, you know, I, I use the meta-analysis and, and I give people, even my patients, the, the website so they can look at it. And you can go to, uh, for hydroxychloroquine, you can go to hcqmeta.com and it will show you one of the really good meta-analysis of worldwide literature. It's just a statistical analysis of the end result of whether a drug is working for some condition or not. And, uh, and the analysis of 
at that time, 41 studies, all of which were favorable, showed with early and late treatment and prophylaxis, ivermectin was very effective. And so that's when I switched over to ivermectin. Now, now I actually use both. I, I found just from my own experience, and I've now treated about 500 patients, which isn't a lot. It's a lot for our little county, but um, gosh, there's some people that treated 7,000 patients with good results. And, and I'll, if I have time, I'll tell you about those. But uh, my, my dilemma kind of was, what dose do I use? Well, the standard dose for, let's say, ivermectin in the use of scabies or uh, river blindness or any of the parasitic diseases is 0.2 milligram per kilogram. And so that would end up to be between 12 to 15 milligrams, and I would give it every other day. Uh, and the reason I do that uh, times three doses is because it's got a long half-life. Ivermectin stays in your bloodstream, the half-life, at least three and a half days, I've heard. It's even around as long as 52 days, mm. and it's stored in the fat. Uh, and so it's a drug you don't have to give every day, even though a lot of people do. Uh, but the, the safety factor is so good now that uh, a study done by Merck themselves, the inventor of it, who got a Nobel Peace Prize for it, uh, but they don't take they don't like it anymore because they don't have, they gave up the patent, you know, and they don't make any money on it now. Yeah, well, that's it's that's been one of the craziest things of the last year as it pertains to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and we discussed this on Saturday as well. You could take them. Like even if they were not effective against COVID, you could take them and they would not be detrimental to your health at the dosage that you're describing. And the the villainization of these two generic drugs that are they're now generic drugs, particularly, has always been perplexing. And, and in my mind, it like highlights and sort of puts a spotlight on the fact that there's different incentives driving the response from a, the, the treatment response to, to oh, COVID over, over the last couple of years. You know, when they talk about safety issues, how can they say it's not safe in someone that's taken it for 30 years every day? And uh, even when you add in the, the uh, azithromycin, which has a lot of benefit, if I had a patient that had any kind of arrhythmic problem, any kind of difficulty with their heart rhythm, uh, I would give them uh, doxycycline instead. And it's an antiviral and it's also antibacterial and it works well too. When India had their big uh, Delta variant uh, rush, uh, really, really terrible problem there. Uh, and they had been using a lot of uh, hydroxychloroquine, but they added ivermectin and, and just had incredible results. And uh, they used hydro uh, doxycycline instead of azithromycin. And they mailed it out to people for free. They had it available everywhere. And uh, that's some ob observational data that, that I think uh, uh, the viewers should know about. There's several of those things. And, and we use observational data to do off-label drug prescribing all the time on thousands of drugs. Yet all of a sudden we can't do that on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. 
it's just crazy. I've never seen it. 50 years being a doctor, I have never seen anything like this. And for, for ERs to test someone that's sick and they test positive for COVID and they say, we can't do anything for you right now. Take Tylenol, go home, isolate yourself for whatever number of days they decide on. And then just come back if you get real sick and real short of breath. And not even offer them vitamins, not even talk about monitoring their oxygen level with an oximeter. Um, you know, and, and then they have the cytokine storm, which is a whole other subject, which changes the disease from a viral infectious disease to an inflammatory disease. And that's when you get into trouble with COVID lung and need a ventilator and end up uh, with a risk of, of death. So what incites that, uh, that, that inflammatory, what, what takes it from a viral um, disease to, a, to an inflammatory one particularly, lack of treatment or mistreatment? Well, when, when the virus uh, enters, this, the RNA virus enters the cell uh, the, the, through the respiratory tract, and this is the lungs primarily, except for Omicron is a little more upper respiratory, which is good. But especially the Delta, it's, it's a pulmonary problem, and it enters the, the cells of the lung and uh, starts replicating using the DNA of that cell, of that host cell. And then, of course, you get all these replicating uh, RNAs, and they eventually over, overflow enough to rupture the cell and kill it. When the cell is ruptured and killed uh, and releases all these RNAs back into the bloodstream, the uh, hormone cytokine is released. And this is what is called the cytokine storm because so many uh, much cytokine is released that uh, it's, it's a defense mechanism against the virus and it releases tumor necrosis factor and several of the interleukins especially interleukin-6, that are very damaging to the stroma of the lung. Now, the stroma is like the fascia of your house, like the two-by-fours and two-by-sixes that hold your house together. That's what the stroma is, the connective tissue of the lung. So the COVID pneumonia looks much different than lobar pneumonia and, and bacterial pneumonia. Instead of just affecting one lobe or or one segment of the lung, it uh, affects the central portion of both lungs, and they call it a ground glass appearance. They have another fancier name for it now, but bottom line is that's COVID lung. And when you get that, that's when you're in trouble. And, and that actually will leave permanent damage. And then you start getting in trouble with clotting and organ failure. And, and many more problems. And, and that's when you use steroids and colchicine and, and both inhaled storage like budesimide and also dexamethasone or prednisone. And, um, and, and, I, and, and then of course there's a specific treatment for that, including a, a weekly ivermectin and 
and we still use hydroxychloroquine then. But then you're in the phase called late treatment. And late treatment is half the effectiveness as early treatment. You want to treat that within the first three to five days, ideally, but for sure within the first seven to 10 days to try and avoid that, that cytokine storm. Mm-hmm. And so this, again, like you, you mentioned earlier, like how, how many lives could have been saved if this early treatment was green-lighted and not villainized early on, you know, on the, like hundreds of thousands potentially? In these meta-analysis, both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin show that the death rate was decreased by at least 63 to 70%. And so if do the math there, you know, 70% of a million, you know, that's 700,000 people that wouldn't have died. And actually it would be more than that because uh, remember that meta-analysis is very objective and it includes every study. It includes even the bad studies, studies that were set to fail, like the VA study. The VA study was one of the first studies done, and it they gave that the, the drug hydroxychloroquine to people that were on the ventilator already. It was already not a viral infection anymore. It was an inflammatory problem. Mm-hmm. That was a complete waste, and it just made hydroxychloroquine look bad. They had another study where they literally gave a lethal dose of hydroxychloroquine every day and had a terrible outcome, uh, like 10 times or more the maximum recommended dose. Uh, so uh, when they used it for late therapy, and everybody that was in the hospital was late, and they only approved it for hospital use when they gave it the emergency use by the FDA for just a little while, until Trump talked about it. Right. You know. That's one of the most disgusting things about this whole uh, debacle these last two years, it seems like it was very politicized like, by the corporate media, politicians, whoever it may be, special interests and big pharma, very much politicized the, the treatment of COVID and it, it divided the country, divided the world to a certain extent. I mean, there's still much division out there because of one's views on what is the best way to to treat this this virus? And it's really like at the end of the day, it's just really like an, an incredible shame that, that we're here in 2022, 2020, 2021, 2022, and humanity can't put the political BS aside to to think about the the overall health of of society. Yeah, it's a real failure uh, of the medical system. And I, I'm just in some ways very, very disappointed with it. I do understand that, that uh, doctors don't want to lose their job. And they, they, I'm sure they, they fired me as part of an example. You know, I pretty much defied them. They warned me three times not to do it. And uh, I told them each time all the studies. I told them the reason I'm doing it. I told them my outcome was excellent that I hadn't lost a single patient. Uh, the patients were happy. Uh, I was swamped with people. I was 
double booked for three weeks in advance when they fired me. Uh, I had patients in November when they fired me. I had patients scheduled clear into February. And I truly feel like I abandoned them in some ways. I, I've continued to be in touch with them by phone, but that's about all. They've got you know the non-competing clause in my contract where I can't practice within 20 miles of any fa- facility that I was employed at. Well, and I was self-employed for, for most of my years there. I had just, my partners and I had just sold the clinic to this uh, corporation uh, about seven years ago. So that's how long I've been an employee. Yeah, you were, you were running your own practice for, for a very long time. Your partners decided to, they were ready to, to cash out, sold to this larger practice and you continued working for treating your patients and then like you said you got three words so let's what was the experience like with the 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 practice that you were working for with the warnings what was the relationship like with pharmacies actually prescribing this stuff like how did was did the your situation evolve over time as you from when you began giving out these prescriptions for these um, these generic drugs and then um, towards the end uh, when you when you eventually got fired how did, how did that progress you know my my whole staff was very supportive uh, uh, save for just a few that hadn't been there very long uh, they all knew me so well and and uh, they knew I was doing the right thing so it was never a bad day working. I, I I loved my patients. Everything was working well. Uh, I had tremendous support, and and the other doctors who didn't use it, they didn't say a word to me, not one word. I would say things to them. I tried to talk them into it many times, and I even tried at meetings to talk the entire uh, group and say, why don't we just make history here and let this corporation who owns this hospital say doctors can prescribe medication based on their own research and their own their own findings and they turned me down for that all three times but i i I continued with a good attitude toward them all we never had any bad words but i knew it was coming and each time they warned me it was more and more stern. And the last uh, warning, uh, just a, like a month before I was uh, terminated, was uh, you're putting our corporation at risk. Hmm. They couldn't say they, I was putting patients at risk anymore. That's what they used at first. And I gave them all the data that showed that it didn't. But uh, it was interesting, you know, when, when you get a peer review, they assigned a physician to call me and discuss the complaint. So uh, I had this uh, lady physician that called me and uh, we discussed it for a while and she really didn't know too much about it, I could tell. And uh, at the end of the discussion, she said, well, if this is so good, why aren't other countries that are are using it? Because there was 22 countries using it as standard of care. And this is ivermectin. Uh, why aren't they doing as good as we are with their uh, death rate? I said they are. 
And, and she did not know that. She didn't know the data? No. And at that time, I, I just said, look, I just looked up the death rate from COVID throughout the world. United States, if you lived in the United States in the last year, you had a one in 600 chance of dying from COVID. If you lived in India, a third world country, with a 1.41 billion people packed together, you had a one in 9,500 chance of dying from COVID. In order of magnitude. That was, back, that was back in about February. Now, I just happened to look that up today and see what that, and John Hopkins has that uh, data. And I just looked it up and it showed still, uh, it was 100,000, it was deaths per 100,000. And uh, the United States was like 270 something deaths per 100,000 right now. And India is 37. And, and so that means, I, I just did the quick math, that means that in India has seven, well, the United States has 760, 7,600%. No, 760% more deaths per 100,000 than we do. Than uh, India does. Than India does, yeah. Yes. They, they, they're... Uh, yeah, they're that far behind us. Yet, if you look at the medical care, you know, they, they judge international medical care by um, maternal mortality. So the maternal mortality per 100,000 live births in the United States is 19. And that's pretty good. We have good medical care here in general, except for COVID. Okay, India's maternal death rate is 145 per 100,000 women. Yet they're seven and a point six times better at treating COVID. And what's the difference? Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. That's the difference. Yeah, they were they were handing out like Z-packs to people to take it prophylactically, correct? In many parts. And, and Ivermectin, they sent them out free. They made them, they actually sent out to the population. Uh, you know, they had that terrible Delta variant hit them first. And I have those statistics here. Um, all these different uh, provinces, uh, about half of them, they, they were called states, the Indian states, uh, were, were uh, got on the bandwagon with ivermectin. And they decreased their death rate by 97% in five weeks. The same time period, those states that did not use ivermectin, they increased anywhere from 50% to 800% more deaths in that same five-week period. Now, tell me that doesn't tell you something about it's, the usefulness. I feel like we're living through mass crimes against humanity like on a global scale here especially i mean i mean you have thoughts on on the vaccine and, and whether or not people people should be taking that and, and seeing what's going on 
in regards to like the number of cases after people have gotten two doses, maybe a booster or two, it's really not preventing the spread at all. Uh, they're saying it's preventing deaths, but that doesn't seem to be the case either. And then you get into the taboo topic, which you're not supposed to talk about. You're, you're, it's, not, it's, it's the no-go zone, which is like, are these vaccines actually doing more harm than good with some people? Which I think... They don't work for Omicron or Delta. <clears throat> now, Omicron might be our, our savior on this because it is pretty mild. It's, it's like a cold and it's more upper airway. I am treating uh, some people with ivermectin that have high risk uh, comorbidities. But most healthy people, I just have them do the vitamins. You know, I'm sure... You've reiterated this many times, but, but I'll say it again. 50 milligrams of, of zinc with food, D3, uh, 2,000 international units a day, C, at least 1,000 milligrams a day, and then uh, Qcertin has come along, Qcertin. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. It's similar. It's a flavonoid antioxidant very similar in its actions as hydroxychloroquine. And so if you do those four things, they're not only good for prophylaxis, but actually you can treat uh, your uh, mild Omicron with that. And uh, it's, it's been uh, doing very well. But um, uh, I still have to treat some people with ivermectin. And I'm doing that through just telemedicine. Mm-hmm. And I do it for my ranch, which is 30 miles away, so I'm not in trouble with that. <laughs> well, and then, 20 mile thing. And when somebody comes to you and they ask, hey, should I get the vac- vaccine, Doc? What, how has your perspective on that changed over the last year and a half since, or year you know, since it was released? You know, we just didn't know about the vaccine at first, it, and it's, a, it's really not a vaccine, you know. It's a messenger RNA that tells your own body to make the spike protein that was the gain of function that the Wuhan lab, I think, added to the SARS-1 coronavirus and made it SARS-2, which is COVID-19. That made it uh, contagious and uh, deadly to humans because that spike protein is how the virus gets into the cell through the ACE2 doorway. It attaches to the ACE2 doorway, opens up the cell wall, and in goes the virus. And so this, uh, this messenger RNA that's in the vaccine tells your body to make spike proteins that are identical to the spike protein that was on the first uh, COVID virus, the original one. Well, when the other mutations occurred, Everything was just fine because the spike protein stayed the same until the Delta. When Delta came along, the spike protein changed, and all of a sudden the vaccine doesn't work, nor does it work on Omicron. And um, the booster, as far as I know, I don't think is working either. And it seems like the more boosters you get, the worse your immune system gets. And just recently in that Israeli study, Kasha uh, just came out, I think last week. They found that after, and, and Israel is uh, 95% vaccinated, up to even the booster. Three vaccines, three shots. 
Well, they were given a fourth booster and they had a sudden spike in deaths as a result of the, the fourth booster. In COVID-related so deaths or just deaths overall? That was Israel. Yeah, but, Death, but, COVID-related deaths. Okay. Yeah, COVID vaccine-related deaths. Okay. Uh, that's another thing, you know, varies. V-A-R, let's see, V-A-R-E-S is the, oh, that stands for vaccine reporting uh, events. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a CDC group. They own that. But they are independent. Now, they've been uh, right on top of this, and they've been reporting the vaccine deaths. And, and right now, it's around 10,000 deaths related to the COVID vaccine in the United States, uh, for sure. Now, they think it's way higher than that and that they're underreporting. They, they, they say there's like a 1.1 million reported adverse events and some very serious like Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a paralytic disease, um, stroke, heart attack, all kinds of other, uh, and especially in young people, pericarditis, myocarditis. Um, because what is going to turn off your body from making this spike protein? And if you have so much of that spike tro- protein in your bloodstream, it's going to clog up your vessels, your micro vessels. And that's where you get heart attacks and strokes and, and all these other, uh, blood clots and all these other problems. So, um, uh, the vaccine, and especially in people that have natural immunity, natural immunity is many times better than that so-called vaccine that's just a bunch of spike proteins that we hope we develop antibodies to, and we hope that the virus it happens to have that spike protein. When you get natural immunity, you actually are getting immunity to like at least five locations different locations on the virus itself, not just the spike protein. And so if it mutates, it would have to mutate tremendously to not still be affected by your own natural immunity that you you developed as a result of recovering from COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, I've noticed some, some strange things. Uh, I have a lot of people on ivermectin uh, prophylaxis. They can take it every week. And I noticed that a few people, they had drawn the COVID antibody IgG test on, which is a blood test that will tell you a number if you're immune from natural immunity. It'll say reactive or positive, but then it will give you a number anywhere from 0.7 to 22, at least in my lab that we use here. And we do send it out. We don't do it here. So um, if you've got around 3 to 3.5 in your number or up to 22, you've got good natural immunity. Uh, And that's from, of course, recovering from COVID, one of the strains, okay, a variance. So when you get another dose of spike protein, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to react to that. I've seen people get terribly sick 
that had natural immunity when they got a, a COVID shot, a vaccine. And this is what's extremely disheartening. Is that I have natural immunity. My wife has natural immunity. She's pregnant. We've been going to the OB, obviously, for, for our checkups, anatomy scans. And we, and we actually had like a pediatrician appointment for our, our son, our two-year-old son, uh, last week. We went and the pediatrician asked us if we were vaccinated. And like, we went for a, a checkup for my son. And then like, we got asked about our vaccination status. And in that um, appointment, which I, number one, thought was odd. And then number two, we got judged heavily when we both responded, no, we have natural immunity. And there has been pressure for my wife, who's pregnant, to, to get the vaccine. And knowing what you've just described in terms of not only their adverse reactions to uh, from people who have natural immunity have gotten the vaccine, but just people who have gotten two doses and multiple boosters having bad reactions in terms of what's going on in their blood vessels. Like it, it seems almost criminal that this is being pushed on people like this. Uh, well, have them look at VAERS. That's capital V-A-R-E-S. V-A-E-R-S. They reported uh, 3,573 fetal deaths following prenatal vaccinations. That's a 1,867% increase as compared to deaths reported from other vaccines during pregnancy. That, that's an incredible number. Uh, you know, and besides causing menstrual abnormalities and, and still, uh, stillborns and miscarriages, why would you put a pregnant person at that risk. I, I just do not understand that. They're so picky about other drugs in pregnancy. I, I even had a, um, a peer review because I had given ivermectin and, and the treatment to a patient who was uh, breastfeeding for three months. And she was really sick and she was breastfeeding her child. Child was three months old. And, and, you know, right now, the health service is required to give all immigrants that are pregnant or breastfeeding the, va the uh, ivermectin if they are at least beyond the first week of breastfeeding. They give them that automatically. And uh, yet, they're telling me that I shouldn't give it to someone that's three months postpartum and sick with COVID, what, what makes the baby more sick? It's a little bit of ivermectin in, their, in the baby's breast milk, and we do treat children with ivermectin, by the way, uh, versus, uh, you know, them, the, the patient being untreated for her COVID. So it's a bad deal, and, and I don't know what you're going to do about that. I, I, I really don't recommend that vaccine. Yeah. No, I mean, they're not. Well, that, that gets back to the question: like, what is the incentive here? Like, you mentioned it. You know, the third warning you got, which led to your eventual firing, was the hospital not saying you're you're putting your patients at risk; is that you're putting our corporation at risk? Like, why do many of these doctors and these large corporate networks, uh, hospital networks, feel the need to push things that are 
may be proving to be harmful. At the very least, not 100% necessary knowing the other preventative treatments or early treatments that, that exist out there that have been tested for decades. And it's like, what is the incentive? Is it, is it money? Is it power? Is there some nefarious intention? Uh, you know, I, I can't believe it's really money. Uh, it, I guess it is. Um, gosh, how can you live with yourself? You know, if, if uh, I probably already said this, but if, if uh, these drugs just lowered the death rate by 10%, just 10%. And they hardly cost anything, uh, although ivermectin's gone up in price uh, for sure, but still very affordable. Uh, but so safe, and you're only taking them for a few days, why in the world would you not do that when there's nothing else available? And these, these two new drugs they've got out, they're dangerous. I mean, you look, and they have very few studies done on them. One of them has one. The other has two, and they both showed to be not as effective as ivermectin, and they they have terrible risk in what, taking them. What drugs are these? The ivermectin knockoffs, the Pfizer, and Merck are coming out with, or yeah, yeah, yeah. The one starts with a P and one with an M. Um, oh, I I wrote them down here. Um, I had a, a couple of people that were given. Uh, those pills and they both had adverse side effects from it and quit them. What were the side effects? They got nausea and diarrhea. Uh, and, and by the way, I might just mention that you shouldn't use animal ivermectin. It's <laughs> uh, a good clarification and the reason for that. And, and it actually probably does work if you got the right dose. A lot of people are using the paste for horse deworming. Uh, problem is, it's got ethylene glycol in it. Uh, well, uh, polyethylene glycol, which is used, you know, for colonoscopy to clean you out for a colonoscopy. So you're going to get diarrhea possibly. Yeah, lovely. And if you if you take too much and you just don't know how much you're getting with that paste, you can end up getting uh, some symptoms like uh, even seizures. So, mm. uh, but I will tell you this. They were talking about how there was a big swamp of poison control calls and the hospitals were swamped with uh, a lot of cases of overdosing with animal ivermectin. Well, it turns out that was exaggerated a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because the actual number of cases they had was four. And if you compare that to the last year with Tylenol overdose, 30,000. Tylenol overdoses that were hospitalized versus four for ivermectin, uh, animal ivermectin. So that's a little bit over that. And the same way with, with the vaccine. You know, the vaccine uh, for um, uh, swine flu. Mm -hmm. I was around when we were given that. And we had when we had 50 deaths, they discontinued it. Yet we've had worldwide at least, at least 22,000 deaths directly attributed to the vaccine. Well, and, and it's crazy seeing what's going up in Canada. There, you have the truckers hitting the streets and 
using their their economic power and shutting down the economy as the government up there is trying to mandate these these vaccines on them to to go about their lives and the Canadian government being led by Justin Trudeau is shutting down their bank accounts and preventing these people from crowdfunding money to sustain their their peaceful efforts to to make a point like hey like we're looking at this data we're we're seeing this it seems pretty obvious i know a few people who have gotten the vaccine and they've had adverse effects from it i don't feel comfortable having this mandate on me just to go about my lives and there's a massive push from the authorities that be not only canada here in the united states and new zealand in many places throughout the world to tell these people they're stupid. No, you have to listen. You have to take this vaccine. Like, like that's, and again, people think I'm some crazy Alex Jones-like character for, for trying to have these conversations, bringing this up, but something seems to be terribly awry here. Well, I can tell you the people in Platte County don't think I'm crazy. Uh, now, I don't espouse any conspiracy theories. Uh, really, I'm here today to tell you that I've treated about 500 people. None have died. They've all done well. And I can tell you that this, this works. This med- uh, medication works. Uh, it's just like the two doctors in, in uh, Southern California that were treating those Hispanics that worked in agriculture there. They had a terrible time. They had the second highest death rate in California, in Imperial County. Uh, And uh, they treated 7,000 people with first uh, hydroxychloroquine and then ivermectin, three deaths, three deaths out of 7,000. And those were all late cases. Yet they still uh, were, were, uh, discounted by the medical society, uh, the hospital executive put them down, and and they lost their uh, uh, social media privileges. And and then you, not only have you treated five hundred patients and not lost any, after you got fired, weren't their patients lost because you you weren't there to give them the treatment that that may have prevented well, them. I don't know exactly what happened there, uh, but um, yeah, there was three deaths about two weeks after I was fired. There were three deaths uh, from COVID in the hospital. And I don't know exactly what I could have done. Boy, I've got a terrible picture on here. Do you have a bad picture? No, you're coming in loud and clear on this end. We good, car? Must be my computer. But at any rate, um, uh, there's no doubt that this this has been a travesty. And I think that people are in so deep. And look, those doctors don't want to get fired. They're young doctors. They've got children. You know, they've got a, a careers ahead of them. They're being bullied into this. Uh, and and I know some doctors, very good doctors that are are with me and, and, and treating people. Uh, pharmacies. It's hard to get some pharmacies. Any big pharmacy chain won't uh, ref- won't fill these prescriptions. Uh, but um, 
The mom and pop pharmacies, most of them will. The little pharmacy. Our pharmacy, our two pharmacies here in Wheatland have been great. And uh, another place I practice in Douglas, both those pharmacies have been great too. And I'm finding a few more here and there in these other cities that um, that won't. That's like when I when I got I got COVID last year, and I had to find a mom and pop pharmacy to fill my ivermectin prescription. Uh, it took me a few days. I wasn't able to start my ivermectin treatment until like four days in because I couldn't find a pharmacy. It took took me a few days to find one that would fill the prescription. Um, it, yeah, it's just mind boggling that <laughs> these things are being prevented and that not only being prevented, but being actively smeared by the corporate media and politicians and people like Anthony Fauci. And then they're not allowing people to talk about it. Like you, you, we've had this big mean of trust the science over the last two years. And it, it doesn't seem like anybody who's been parroting that phrase actually understands what the scientific process entails, that they really were quote unquote, trusting the science, they would be scouring studies like you have and using that, that data to make educated decisions for your patients. Yes. Yes. And you know, it, it's a funny thing. Um, when I was trying to decide what dose to use and, and, uh, had to kind of average all the, the studies and, and kind of pick a median there. Then I found out Dr. Peter McCullough had his nice little neat algorithm from the, you know, frontline CCC alliance that, that he's kind of the head of. And boy, it's nice to see that in writing and to see that they agree with you. You know, so that was nice to see. So you have independent, you you came to the same conclusion independently, unaware. Of- I did, almost exactly. And, uh, He's gone up in his dose. I'm doing 0.3 per kilogram on the ivermectin. And I've pretty much stayed there because it's been working so well. And I do use hydroxy with it uh, because people just get better quicker and feel better sooner. It's only for five days. And I do give my dose every other day times three doses. So I dose day one, three, and five. And again, that's partly because of the long half-life of ivermectin. And that's kind of the way they dose it for scabies and the river blindness and and those parasites. So, you know, I've tried to be conservative, but still be effective. And it's worked good for me. But, but boy, I wouldn't hesitate to use uh, Dr. McCullough's algorithm if I hadn't done the studying myself. And, And we're just really close on everything, the vitamins and the whole works. Well, what do you think needs to change? Like you mentioned that there are young doctors who have families, they don't want to get fired. Like that should not, I mean, I agree. Like people are driven by their incentives. They need to put food on the table. Many of these people probably have a mountain of student loan debt that they need to pay back and the the prospect uh, and specter of getting fired for stepping out of line from the corporate diktat uh, is is pretty overwhelming. But again, if we are truly humans and want to have empathy for our fellow human, like this is not an acceptable 
path to continue going down. Like as somebody toward the end of your career has been practicing for many decades, what do you think needs to change across the medical and pharmaceutical industry to, to prevent this type of incentive mechanism from creeping in and, and leading to, like you said, you, hundreds of thousands of deaths could have been prevented if these, these treatments were villainized. Uh, even when I talked to the, the group uh, at medical staff meetings about, you know, trying to just let us do our thing and not recommend it, just don't prevent it. Uh, David mentioned, oh, this study wasn't peer reviewed or whatever. I think most of them just have not really got deep into the treatment. They've kind of probably all been hoping that we're going to find a cure that's acceptable to everybody. Um, but even that, like that, that seems like a find a cure. Like it is a coronavirus, right? Like there's no cure to the common cold, which is a coronavirus. Like isn't that a just a wishful thinking, and not only wishful thinking, but yeah. unreasonable thinking to to even expect. You know, I'd had to put myself in their shoes to really be able to answer that question. I. I know they're good people. I've worked with them for many years. The ones that turned me in were new doctors. Uh, my my friends that I've worked with all these years never would do that. Mm -hmm. And they know that I'm trying to do the right thing. So people turned you in? Yeah. Uh, one of my associates that's uh, a new, well, just have been here about a year, I think, uh, what do they do? Go to the administration, snitch on you, say, hey, Dr. Doc Woods is, is giving out ivermectin prescriptions? Yeah, yeah that's what they do. So, uh, and, and I don't hold any grudges or anything. I, maybe they have a good reason for that. Maybe they think I'm hurting people. No, and, maybe, and, they, maybe they want to get your position too. You got to think of that incentive as well. Right? Well, I wasn't competing for anybody's position. Yeah. I, I, you know, I am at the end of my career and actually I thought about retiring when this all started and I thought, no, I need to hang in there and help out. And that's really what kept me going. Uh, and I would still be going if, if I wasn't terminated and I might, after that year is up, I might go into solo practice. The problem is malpractice insurance. Uh, you can't get hospital privileges without malpractice. It's hard for a solo practitioner to get malpractice. And, and so I'm going to have to see how that goes. Doc, I, I think we really need to drive home here. I mean, again, you've been treating people valiantly for 43 years, almost half a century. At the tail end of your career, you, you decided to to keep treating people because you thought it was your, your civic duty to, to stay and heal people throughout this pandemic and just a, a, a system with terribly perverse incentives is trying to label you as a bad doctor, which is completely disgusting in my opinion. And then, like, so do you know of any other doctors and maybe not in your area, but across the country or, going through similar experiences just because. Oh, yes. Um, 
was it, there's a doctor in Cheyenne that was uh, fired uh, and, and he is in solo practice now, but he was able to get his insurance through the people that he rents from. That's another doctor in sports medicine. And then uh, there's a group of three doctors that were fired uh, uh, by Douglas and Casper that have formed a little group up there. And they're going without insurance, which is kind of dangerous. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed in our, in our, uh, in our board of medicine. I, I just wish they had uh, stepped up a little better. I know uh, there's some attorney generals that have, like in Nebraska and Oklahoma, that have declared um, that you could not uh, punish uh, any doctor that was prescribing those two medications for COVID or retaliate on them and that the pharmacist should fill their prescriptions for them. So I got to hand it to Nebraska and Oklahoma for doing that. I wish more state, state attorney generals would do that or governors. How much are agencies like the FDA and the CDC culpable for this? That's another thing I've heard many times throughout this pandemic is... Well, I just don't trust them anymore. Why well, really Why don't. not? Why not? What, what is, where does your mistrust stem from? Uh-oh. <laughs> That's freaky freaks. For can't uh, see can't you see though. No, I don't have that picture of you. Uh, do I need to push join? Maybe you, you join. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. I can I can see and hear you loud and clear. Looks like we're live again. Can you see me yet? Oh no, I can't hear you. Uh oh. They're really, they're really trying to stop this conversation, Doc. Uh, okay. Car's working to get Doc Woods back. This is a, it's a very important conversation. Any luck? There we go. There you go. Can you see me? Can you see me? Okay. All right. I see I'm delayed quite a bit. Uh, you're come. Is it that no, way? Your, your latency's fine on our end. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, but before we got interrupted, our internet went out temporarily. It's back. You were you were jumping into uh, an explanation of why you don't trust the the CDC or FDA anymore. Well, they, they've obviously lied to us. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, the problem is uh, with the FDA, if there is a good treatment for a disease, then they don't allow this emergency vaccination, experimental vaccination to be allowed, you know. So... That obviously may be a reason why they stopped allowing, um, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine from being uh, that emergency use, and then and then remdesivir. We mm -hmm. haven't mentioned that. Don't get that. Don't don't take any remdesivir. If anybody is admitted to the hospital, 
decline that drug. It's, it's dangerous. It causes renal failure. It can cause death. It doesn't work. It's expensive. You know, the hospitals get 20% bonus on their charges when it's a COVID patient. They get $3,000 bonus every time they treat someone with remdesivir. They get a $3,000 bonus every time they put someone on a ventilator. And, and the statistic on the ventilator is awful. Anyone put on the ventilator, 80.2% are going to die. So, uh, you know, even if, so, and I have patients that I'm treating and they panic, you know, they're, they're not doing well the first few days maybe, and they go to the hospital. Well, I tell them all, if you do go to that hospital, that's fine. You may need fluids, you know, you may need a little bit of oxygen therapy. And I put people on oxygen therapy if their O2 sats go below 90. Um, that's one of the things I include in, in my care is have them get a pulse oximeter that tells them their uh, blood oxygen level and their pulse and, and have them call me if their pulse gets below, it goes above 120 or their oxygen level goes below 90. And then I think they need oxygen therapy and I can arrange that. So, you know, there's a lot of other nuances, you know, after I think someone's got into the sighting storm, that's when we do the steroids. And there's a whole host of other drugs, you know, that are repurposed that may help COVID. Gosh, Pepsid, Luvox, um, Colchicine is good for infl inflammation along with steroids. Uh, oh gosh, there's other ones I've heard even Benadryl mentioned. I just haven't had to use most of those mm. drugs. <laughs> I just haven't had that many late patients that didn't respond. So uh, I've been lucky in that respect, and I think in general the people are healthy here. Yeah. So back to like, how do you pronounce Ren Renden? I can never pronounce Renden Um Why is that allowed? as a treatment, but ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine one, it's obviously more dangerous. Ventilators are allowed to use as a treatment, if you will. They've oh, proven to be more dangerous. I think that one, I think, is money. I think that one is money. They're, they're charging a lot for it. Um, the hospital gets paid extra for it. Uh, and it's about all they have. If they get these uh, new two new pills going, uh, they'll have that, but um, the monoclonal antibodies I haven't mentioned, I they just worked great for the mm -hmm. Delta. And I, I, every time I could get, get a patient uh, monoclonal antibodies, I would. It's an outpatient thing. It's an intravenous, it's an infusion uh, intravenously. takes about an hour. Uh, they have to meet certain criteria to get it, and most of the patients did, or we would try and make them meet those requir requirements. Um, you know, so gosh, I was using, we'd get 20 doses in a rural hospital. We kind of got them divvied out to us when they had them available. So we'd get 20 doses at a time and I'd end up prescribing 18 out of the 20. Uh, but I would still use my other medications as well. But I did, uh, see good results from the monoclonal antibodies. You know, when my daughter got, uh, I told you I treated her first. Yeah, and that's, I? I mean, that's, 
again, pe- people want to paint and doctors like yourself as reckless and evil, but like, you have skin. Like, you care about your daughter, obviously, more than probably anybody outside of your immediate, just as much as your immediate family. Yeah, you're willing to treat her with this stuff. Like, you think you're not being reckless here. She did beautifully. She had never had a headache in her life. She had just uh, delivered in vitro twins, a boy and a girl, uh, a couple of years prior to that. And um, uh, she got really a bad case. Her husband did too. They knew they'd been exposed. And on the 13th day, they were doing the test every three days. And on the 13th day, they both came down with it. They both had severe headaches. They both had um, a cough and a high fever. Well, she started the medication that afternoon, and the next morning, her headache was gone. By 24 hours, her temperature was normal, and within four days, the cough was gone. And her immunity was so good that she donated her blood for convalescent serum and monoclonal antibody research because it was real early in the, in the development of that at that time. This was in July of 2020. And she donated her blood 18 times every other week. And, and that's quite a deal. You have to have, they would take 750 cc's off of her. She's not a big girl, lady. Uh, and, and then they would spin out the, the serum with the antibodies in it and then put her packed red blood, red blood cells back in her uh, vein so she wouldn't get anemic. And uh, she did that 18 times. God bless so, her. Uh, I would, yes, she, she's that kind of person. It's, and then they just try like, they just shut down any, uh, the monoclonal antibodies in Florida. They're trying to uh, shut them down nationwide. Wow. Anthony Fauci saying they're, they're not, not effective against Omicron, which may be true. But again, why, why are we following Anthony Fauci? I actually watched a documentary over the weekend that dove into Anthony Fauci's involvement with the response to HIV in the late 80s, early 90s, and the controversy around AZT particularly, and the fact that that drug probably led to a con- uh, causing people's immune systems to be compromised. It seems like 20, 30 years later, he's back in charge, and he's forcing a vaccine onto the public that seems to potentially be doing similar things in terms of compromising immune systems. Why does this one man have all this power? That is amazing, isn't it? It really is. And how much money does a person need when they're 80 years old? I mean, you can't spend that much money in in, in the time he has left on this earth. He works for the government. How is he making all this money? Well, I, I, he has interests, I'm sure. I, I've read that anyway. Now, look, everybody can read all that. You know, really, Marty, uh, I can offer you my experience, you know, and I can tell you that I really haven't been hurt by this. But my patients have been. And, and that's what hurts me the most. And I... I need someone like you to get in there and find out what the hell's going on and stop it. 
and and stop this craziness that we can't treat these people correctly. And I and God bless you for doing this. I mean, I but, get yelled uh, at for doing this. I, a lot of people, a lot of people think I'm crazy for having these conversations. That's, that's the other thing. Like the public, many in the public, for some reason or another, just want to put their heads in the sand and say, "No, no, no! What they're telling us is true. This is like you're you're crazy for going against the narrative." There's some weird mental blocker or like herd mentality type trait in a lot of people that I, mean, I think a lot of people I think we're stuck in a sunk cost fallacy I think that's the best way to describe it where many people have been led down this path and they don't want to believe that there could be evil like this in the world or there could be incompetence if you don't want to believe it's evil uh, uh, of of this degree uh, at the the level of the FDA the CDC and hospital boardrooms across the world you know the the Canadian truckers, God love them. They're standing up to to a terrible tyrant. I would have never thought Canada would have a dictatorship like they're having <laughs> I mean, now. I, I, mean, I mean, we're getting to the, it's a big discussion today in the the Bitcoin community. The the financial authorities in Canada have sent out a a list of I believe thirty nine. Bitcoin addresses that are supposed to be blacklisted uh, uh, because people were receiving Bitcoin on behalf of the, the Freedom Convoy and the government saying, hey, if you move that Bitcoin, you're going to go to jail. Um, so they're, they're again, it's, wow. uh, the, the tyranny is, they're, they're only doubling and tripling down on it, which is surprising considering the fact that many people are while yes, many people do have their heads in the sand, many others that probably reachable middle of people that exist who just want to go about their lives and probably refer to as the silent majority. I think silent majority is when you're like, all right, like now that Omicron's here, things aren't that bad and people aren't dying as much anymore. Like why are you are you pushing this vaccine and these mandates and these passports so hard? Uh, and the fact that these governments are, are doubling and tripling down in the face of all this is perplexing. And it does, again, I know you can only speak on behalf of your experience and what you've seen with your own eyes, but it, I'll go there. Like I think there are some nefarious intentions or some greedy intentions driving all this. The World Economic Forum uh, does have a lot of influence over people like Justin Trudeau, uh, Jacinda in uh, New, New Zealand, um, and the Pfizer has like so. That's the other thing. Like, fi, like I found out today that like f these big pharma companies contribute money to the FDA and the CDC. And like, how does that not perturb incentives? Like, what? Well, like the, the the fact that the FDA can receive money and funds from these big pharma institutions. Is an immediate conflict of interest that probably should not be allowed. Well, you know, I uh, I know the family of um, one of our politicians, and and um, they're in Washington, and they they just say that they can't believe the corruption there. That's that's really a shame to see that, but. Uh, I think the last election 
was horribly handled. But but again, I'm getting political now. And I don't no, we, want don't, to. we don't have to. But it, I miss my wife. I wouldn't. <laughs> I I know what that's like. My uh, my wife does not like when I get political either. My co-host doesn't like it. Uh, Matt Odell does not like when I get political either. But again, it's just for me personally. It's like looking around. It's like what the hell is going on? And it's and it's been over the last two years. It's this slow march, a slow march. It's like you're getting. It feel like you're getting like pushed in the back, and you're like, wait a second, let me ask a couple questions. You're like, no, 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 just keep going, and then. That's my biggest worry. We're going to wake up one day. We're going to be either in physical or digital gulags where it's, it's hey, you get a reminder. You haven't gotten your sixth booster. Uh, we're going to shut off your bank account and send a nurse over to your house. And uh, you'll be able to spend money once once it's confirmed that, that you have been injected successfully. Again, now we're definitely uh, delving into a theory that uh, has not been brought to fruition yet, but just seeing the, the progression that has uh, materialized over the last two years, it's, it's like, yeah, well, I would not be surprised yeah, if it ends there. I, yeah. Well, haven't I seen where Canada has some camps or something for, that they put people yes, in? That you have to pay for. I mean, it started with hotel quarantine. Like when you came back, yeah, if you... Yeah. There's a story out of Australia. Australia has camps as well. And there was a, a story of a mother. After she gave birth, they, they used contact tracing to say she potentially came into contact with somebody who came into contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID. And they took her baby away from her for 12 hours. They wanted to take it away for two weeks, but she fought uh, hand, tooth, and nail to get her baby back shortly after birth. But that's the, the lengths that uh, some of these authoritarians are going to. They're ripping newborns from their mother's arms hours after they're born based off of questionable contact tracing data. These are messed up. Yes, it, it really is. And um, I think we need to just keep after it and do the best we can. I don't... Uh, I don't know if you have any suggestions on what we can do. <laughs> I do, but I'm not. I'm not allowed to say them on air. <laughs> I expect any day for a knock on yeah. the door. I, I do as well. Well, that's a again, just your person. It's extremely disheartening to see what's happening. Again, decades of steadfast service to your community, only to be thrown to the to the sidewalk like a like a garbage can at the end of your career it's fucking disgusting sorry for my language and they're trying to normalize it. like again like you said it was a young physician that that ratted you out and like what what are we fine-tuning for here as a society if we're we're kicking out the the ethical and um moral individuals like yourself and replacing them with obedient uh, physicians and not even physicians, police officers, military personnel who are, are willing to take marching orders without any critical thinking or uh, pushback when, when it seems like things are bad. I mean, this is classic banality of evil creeping into to society here. It starts small. Uh, and then you're, we're, you could potentially wake up one day and, and find that there are mass atrocities that are, that are being 
borne out in real time. And it was just like a slow cut, death by a thousand cuts. Like, and that's why I do this show. That's why I'm very happy that we're having this conversation because what I think is the best way to prevent that from happening is talking about it. And, and to, again, I've got you freaks can go check the Apple podcast um, reviews. I get one star reviews because people get so uncomfortable that I talk about stuff like this. Uh, there's there's a number of one star reviews that tell me please stop talking about this please focus on Bitcoin like this isn't your your realm of expertise and but again like this for any of you Bitcoiners out there listening which I'm sure many most of you this is a Bitcoin podcast but like there's like people saying stick with Bitcoin like Bitcoin and these human rights issues are are very tightly aligned. Like this COVID stuff is a Bitcoin issue at the end of the day. Bitcoin has existed to give people the autonomy over their private property and their money. And what is going on right now in the medical sphere is the pushing of people towards the inability to have autonomy over their bodies. Like what happened to my body, my choice? It's funny how hypocritical the um, some in the political establishment are when it comes to my body, my choice, when it comes to abortion versus uh, the decision of whether or not you want to inject yourself with an environmental, uh, experimental R mRNA therapy. Like you said, it's technically not even a vaccine. And like that's, and that's like a big worry for me too. And why I keep talking about this, despite the fact that people tell me not to, and they give me one star reviews and they, uh, they tell me to stay in my lane is, you know, again, going back to the banality of evil, there's a good chance, not a good chance, I wouldn't say a good chance, but there is a chance that is within the realm of possibility. There is a probability that we will look back 2025, 2026, maybe even 2023, 2024, and there will be very uh, high number of adverse reactions and medium to long-term effects that get borne out because we did this mass uh, therapy campaign. I don't want to say vaccination campaign, but again, because it's not a campaign. Like that, that, that there, there is the potential for that. Like if myocarditis rates are truly rising um, the way some people are reporting them, like that has a immediate effect on a small subgroup of people that, that are affected by myocarditis. But then in the future, like it could affect more and more people like it would just and some people it just takes a bit longer for for it to get to them is that true you never know what happens with that, that those spike proteins i mean what makes them stop uh being replicated uh i suppose they had a plan for that i'm sure probably uh what is it dr um is it um, Macaulay? Uh, was it McCollum? Uh, the doctor that invented uh, the Malone. mRNA. Dr. Malone? Uh, Malone. Malone, right. Uh, I'd like for him to explain to me what the plan is for that messenger RNA to stop causing your body to make the spike protein. I'm sure there's something there that's supposed to be a stop for it. Uh, and see, when you make them, 
spike protein, then the body is supposed to recognize that as foreign and then you get an antibody against it. But if your own body is making it, why would your body think it's foreign? You know, like the normal vaccine, they're taking an attenuated virus that's been weakened and supposedly can't cause an infection and injecting that. And then your body sees that virus as foreign, which it is, and then develops uh, antibodies against various parts of its structure. So there's multiple sites that you're developing immunity to. And then your T cells remember that. And if it ever sees that virus or parts of that virus again that are in that memory, then it immediately makes those antibodies to fight it off before it can incubate enough and re reproduce enough to cause you trouble. Or they even take parts of a dead virus and, and inject that into you, and then you recognize that as foreign and make antibodies against that. But... but uh, the messenger RNA technique, I, I just uh, don't know enough about it. I'm too far out of my, my chemistry, biology majors in, in college to know about that. You know, it's, it's, that was 50 yeah. years ago plus. Uh, so I'm trying to learn now, but. Uh, and again, and, and, you, and you, you take that knowledge, like you don't know what's going to go. You can't, I don't think there's enough data or enough time to have developed the data to, to have a better understanding of, of <laughs> individuals, let alone millions and hundreds of millions of individuals' collective reaction to that over time. There literally hasn't been enough time to test all this stuff as specific to the COVID-19 virus, which is mind-blowing. But you couple that with the... The fact that in pandemic outbreaks of decades, centuries past, like it's been people are told, like, don't vaccinate during the outbreak, right? Because like, then you could lead to weird variants and mutations of the virus as it's going on. Again, you could look at the charts of the, the different variants that have materialized after the, the mass therapy. Um, campaign started last year, and it's, that seems to be playing out as well. Like the, the virus mutated pretty aggressively after the mRNA therapy was introduced to to the population. Uh, yeah, you worry about that. Uh, typically, you know, a virus will uh, get weaker and weaker just from natural selection. Because the, the viruses, uh, strains that kill the, the host, they're buried and, and gone and can't, uh, a dead host can't, you know, pass it on. But uh, so they get weaker uh, and they keep the host alive longer or so that it can pass the virus around to more people and, and stay alive. And, and about repurposed drugs, you know, there's a lot of repurposed drugs that have been used in viral infections. You know, amantadine, which is a, a, a Parkinson's drug, was found to be effective for one of the common uh, flu, flu viruses. And uh, we still use that to this day, just like we would use ivermectin for COVID. If it works, it works. Yeah. 
Uh, now I'm getting stressed out, a bit aggravated talking about all this because it is very frustrating. You, you get painted, I get painted as quacks. It's weird that we can't have these open conversations. Well, we can have them. We are having it, but um, we'll get yelled at for it. But like, why? Why do you think the push to shut down discourse is so vehement? I couldn't hear that. You were breaking up. I'm sorry, it's just—it's weird to me that we can't have this type of conversation. Like, why? Why do you? Why is the establishment pushing to shut down this type of discourse? Like, why can't we have discourse around this? It's—it's it's very odd. Well, it could be because we're winning. <laughs> I haven't been called a quack yet. Uh, I've had nothing but the uh, nicest thing uh, said to me from my patients, and that's from all over the country. I've treated people in Georgia and Texas and Washington State and you name it. Uh, the, the relatives of people I've treated here have called their relatives and friends, and, you know, word of mouth, it gets around. I. Um, I'm I'm not on the list of the uh, the frontline CCC alliance. I'm not on any website or anything of that nature. It's all been just word of mouth, uh, and I don't plan to do that. Um, but at least in this little part of the world, uh, people know that I I will be help them out if I can. Well, and I give out my number without any problem. Here locally, my wife doesn't like that. But that, again, like you're an admirable stand-up individual trying to do the best to make sure your community gets through all this. And it's disgusting what's going on to people like yourself and others who try to talk about this. Um, but again, like you said, behind the scenes, the people you actually treat, the people you actually save, the people who you help bring peace of mind to, they they're thanking you. They're, they're sending you letters. They're showing up in droves to uh, re force retirement parties to, to thank you for um, your treatment over many decades. And I want to thank you personally for just being a good person. It's hard to find good people in positions of, of power these days or positions of um, responsibility. Well, well <clears throat> thank you very much for that. You know, I just want my patients to know, and I, I just wanted to say this one, one more thing. I didn't, I would have never uh, left you like that hanging. I would have never just quit with three weeks of patients booked and appointments out three months ahead of time. I would have tapered off. I would have tried to get you set up with another doctor i would have made sure you had your uh, prescriptions filled appropriately and i've tried to continue to do that uh but uh, you know it's hard to get in touch with everybody well that and i just well i think you need to, if you're willing to add more context to that message you're trying to send out to because you again were were fired and then that wasn't properly communicated to your patients is that not true Yeah, and, and, and I think it's good that we, we're having this forum here that I can maybe reach out to those people and just tell them that, that I'll help them transition any way I can to uh, another 
provider and there are some good ones around here that know uh, what needs to be done and and uh, at least will get in touch with me to maybe do the so-called dirty work you know <laughs> and call in the prescriptions because they really can't you know they're, they're just at at a loss of what to do because they're going to lose their job if they do it so I'm here to do that as long as I can. So I'm still treating COVID patients. That's what I mean by that. We need more Doc Woods in the world. <laughs> well, thank you. We really, we I really do. That. I mean, again, thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Um, is there is there anything you think we should touch on before um, we go our separate ways and? get yelled at for, for having this conversation. You know, uh, my wife knows I could talk forever on this subject because I'm so passionate about it, but I think we've hit the high points. I think it's something really profound. I'll give you a call. Yeah, okay. My number. Um, please do not hesitate to give me a call. And if you ever in the future, feel that there's a pressing message to get out there. This is uh, an open forum um, for you. I would be honored to have you back on again uh, because, again, I think we need to highlight individuals like yourselves as as much as possible in a world filled with people like Anthony Fauci and um, people driven by money and power instead of actually healing. Well, thank you for that. And... uh... If, uh, if you need anything, you let right. me know. I will. Doc Woods, I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon, the rest of your week, and um, I'm sure we'll certainly be in touch. Um, freaks, don't give us a one. Don't give us a okay. one star review for this, please. Come on, we're just having a conversation here. <laughs> That's all we got today. Peace and love. Okay.